Let's pray. Most gracious and eternal Father, we are indeed are grateful to you for these shared moments together. For this opportunity to worship you and praise your holy name. We are thankful for your word. As we look into the treasures of your word, we ask you to arrest our attention so that we may behold wondrous things from your truth. Our ears that we may hear your truth. Our minds that we may understand and comprehend the truth of your word, but most importantly, open our hearts this morning that we may receive you with meekness your word, which is able to save all souls. Evangelize every seller, edify and energize your church. Grant us now the anointing that makes preaching easy. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. It is in the mighty, magnificent, majestic, master's name. That's above every name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. All believers say amen. amen. Those of you who have your Bibles, if you would take your copy of God's word and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to look at verses 1 through 6 of this passage. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Where you found the, your copy of God's word on your phone, your iPad, or even follow along on the stream if you would stand with us for the reading of the text this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. The Bible says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former times, former times, he brought into captive a contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, the Galilee of the nations. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of, for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says in verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For a few moments this morning, I want to talk from this thought, the anticipated joy of Christmas. The anticipated joy of Christmas. I believe it was Monday or Tuesday. The gospel choir gathered here in the sanctuary. They were practicing for today's worship service that I stepped out 
To simply say thank you for traveling on last Sunday, we got into a conversation about how many people no longer have the joy of Christmas. That Christmas just simply seems to sneak upon us. And we're full off the turkey at Thanksgiving. And we go back to our mundane, regular routines. And then suddenly, on the 23rd day of December, we say, oh, it's about to be Christmas. We rush out to the local department stores, to the malls, try to find those last-minute um, gifts for those people who have told us, I got you something, and you realize they got me something, but I didn't get them anything. So we run and try to find something for them. We walk, run to Walmart and to grocery stores to try to get those last-minute items for our Christmas dinner. And Christmas just seems to sneak up on us. And we no longer really slow down to enjoy the Christmas season. In fact, many of us don't even sing the carols of Christmas. We don't really hear the songs of Christmas until we come to church. We don't fill our homes with the lyrics of Silent Night, Joy to the World, and Go Tell It on the Mountain. We don't even fill our homes with the lyrics of, of, of Motown and soul for Christmas. We just go through the existence. We seem as if we no longer really celebrate the season. And many times we just seem to go through the motions. But as we begin to talk about different carols and different hymns that many of us heard when we were growing up and song, but many of our young people today don't have the benefit of hearing these songs as a part of their Christmas festivities, as a part of their Christmas Celebration. There was a song that came to mind that said, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and wrap some captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel will come to thee, O Israel. And this is what this text has told us this morning that God promises his people who are suffering in exile that they can have joy because God will visit them soon. That God will visit them and God will turn the plight of their situation, the predicament of their condition around. So the Lord encourages the people that even though he has to judge them because of their sin and they will go into captivity at the hands of the Assyrians, they can still have joy and anticipation of the Savior coming. They can still have joy regardless of what's going on around them. They can have joy in the midst of their suffering. They can have joy even while they are bearing the yoke of oppression. They can have joy while they're bearing their burdens in the heat of the day because God will visit them soon. The Bible is telling us that Isaiah tells the children of Israel that you should be joyful in anticipation of the Savior's arrival. After he's told them about the devastation that will occur in chapter 8, that they will go through captivity, he then turns to chapter 9, and this is what the word of God says. It says, but there will be no gloom 
for her who was in anguish. This is the Lord saying that things are going to change. So what he says in verse number two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them have the light shone. Once again, things are going to get better. He then goes on to talk about how you would know things get better by talking about the joy that the people will have when things get better. The Bible says that you have multiplied the nation. That you have increased its joy and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. He says things will change and you will have joy. And brothers and sisters, there's someone here this morning that you may be in a dark place right now. And you may be going through trials and tribulations and you may look good on the outside, but on the inside you are crumbling and, and things seem to be falling apart and you feel that no one understands and no one cares and you're suffering in silence. But I stopped by to tell you this morning that as we anticipate celebrating the birth of our Savior, you can have joy even in the midst of your suffering. You can anticipate joy because trouble don't last always. You can anticipate joy because weeping endures for a night, but joy will come in the morning. You can anticipate joy because the God we serve will visit you late in the midnight hour. He will rock you to sleep. He'll put joy in your heart. He'll wipe tears away. So this you ought to live with anticipation that things will get better. Things will get better. And here's what the Bible tells us in verses 4 through 6. As I'm almost done this morning. The Bible tells us why we can have anticipated joy. If you look at the text, especially if you have the ESV, the text in verses 4, 5, and 6 all start with the word for. And in each one of these verses, Isaiah lays out a reason for us having anticipated joy. He lays out a reason that we should not be discouraged regardless of what we're going through this season. We can anticipate joy. The first thing he says is you and I can have anticipated joy because of the promise Deliverance. The promise deliverance. Look what the Bible says in verse number four. It says, For the yoke of his burden, and the staff for his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. This is the Lord telling them, You can be joyful. Because God will deliver you. It does not matter what form your oppression may be in. It does not matter who may be your oppressor who is afflicting oppression. And it does not matter how long you have been enduring a season of oppression. The God we serve is a deliverer. The God we serve will give you victory over those who do you wrong. He is on the side of the oppressed. 
when you read the scripture, you find that God always is there to help those who are weak. God always sides with those who are vulnerable. God always sides with those who are enduring the suffering that's inflicted upon them from society. God always fights for those who can't fight for themselves. God still says, be still and know that I am God. God still says, I behold the salvation of the Lord. God still says, I will deliver you. It does not matter what it is. He says, I will deliver you. He says, listen what he says. He says, listen, that he has broken the yoke. This is suffering that is endured. The yoke is something that's laid upon you that you just have to endure sometime. And the fact of the matter is, I know we live in a day and age where everybody wants to a, a, a good well, quick scheme that, that, that things are going to overflow and your blessings on the way and, and, and God has favor on your life and everybody wants promises of prosperity but brothers and sisters the fact of the matter is if you live long enough you will go through seasons of suffering that you simply have to endure you have to endure some things don't go away overnight some things don't go away in a week. Some things don't go away in a month. Some things don't go away in a year. Some things you have to endure for a difficult, long season. But God can deliver you from the oppression that you endure. But he also can deliver you from those who afflict the oppression upon you. He says that the rod has been broken. The rod of the oppressor. This is not just those suffering that you're enduring. This is suffering that's been afflicted upon you. And then the Bible says this. He'll do it like he did in the day of Midian. Read the Bible in Judges chapter 6 and 7. There's a man by the name of Gideon. Who God raises up to deliver the people from the oppression of the Midianites. And God comes to Gideon and tells Gideon to get ready to fight. And Gideon has 32,000 troops. And God tells him, you got too many. He takes from 32 and 22,000 of them went home. And God told him, you still have too many. The next round, he's attracted from 10,000 to 3,000. And God said, you still have too many. And then God told them to go down to the riverbank and watch how they lap water. And he says, when you get there, those who lap water, he says, those are the ones that I want you to go fight with. And the Bible says that Gideon goes from 32,000 to 300. And he goes and God gives him the victory. And God says, I'm going to let it be reduced so that you will know who won the battle. Come to church. I'm saying that you can have anticipated joy because the God we serve will deliver you. But here's what you need to know. Sometimes God will let you get down to your last option. Sometimes God will let you get to the point of breaking. Sometimes God will let you get there when it's almost time. It's running out so that you will know that when he steps in, it wasn't anybody but the Lord God will. He will deliver. 
No matter what you're going through, he will deliver. That's good news for us. And if anybody ought to shout about it, black folks ought to shout. But if anybody knows that God knows how to deliver, if anybody knows God can deliver from a yoke of suffering, and God can deliver from a rod of oppression, and God can deliver when all odds are stacked up against you, it's we as a people who ought to always shout and praise God, not because of what he's going to do, but we ought to still be shouting about what God has already done. I see made a way. He delivered. Not only can we have anticipated joy because of promised deliverance, we can also have anticipated joy because of promised peace. Promised peace. The Bible says in verse 5, for every boot of the trampling warrior and the bell of tumult and every garment that is rolled in blood will be fuel for the fire. This is God really saying that there's going to come a day where peace will rule the earth. Militaries can go ahead and put their weapons away. That there will be no more wars. No more rumors of wars. God says we can live an anticipated joy because of promised peace. That God is able to give you peace. He's promised peace. The Bible says he will keep you in perfect peace. If you keep your mind Stay on him. God promises us peace. And brothers and sisters, here's what you need to know. God promises us peace. Get this. Not when the storm is over. No, no. God's peace is peace in the midst of your storm. God says the children of Israel, I promise that peace will come. In fact, in another passage in Isaiah, in chapter 2, Isaiah tells that they will beat their swords into pruning hooks. That there will no longer be a need for pointed swords, that they can beat them into the ground, until the edge of the sword is dull, and they have turned into hooks. Stay there, and I'll come back to that in just a second. The Bible says not only that, we can have anticipated joy, not only because God promises deliverance, not only because God promises us that he will give us peace, but last thing, God promised a redeemer. He promised a redeemer. Verse 6, and we're done. For to us, a child is born to us a son is given now you got to understand something when Isaiah first writes this and he just finished talking about promised deliverance 
and promise peace. And then he turns and says, for to us, a child is born. A son is given. Don't seem like much to get excited about. We in captivity. We're going through burdens. You just promised us joy. You just promised us joy would come from a promise of deliverance. A promise of peace. And here, your bit um, grand finale is a child. We don't need a child. We need an angel. We don't need a child. We need a warrior. We don't need a child. We need an army. Brothers and sisters, it's amazing to us that oftentimes what we need from God don't come in the form that we anticipated coming in. God says, for to you, to us, a child is born. A son is given. And Isaiah says, now before you get this courage, it's not about the child being born. We have joy when children are born, not because they're born, but because of what they can become. Do I have any help in here? Somebody knows what I'm talking about. You had caring children for nine months. You birthed the child, and you nursed the child, and you're grateful for the child, and you pray for God to cover the child, but you more importantly, you're praying for the potential within the child to manifest itself. You're praying for that child to become something great, to make an impact in the earth. And God is saying that joy comes at birth, not because a child made it, but because of what a child can become. And so he says, before you just discount what I told you and think little of a child being born, let me tell you what this child is going to become. And we'll shout and go home. He says, the first thing is, this child will be called Wonderful Counselor. Lord have mercy. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor. And you can have hope in Christmas. And you can have joy at Christmas because God has given us a child who is a Wonderful Counselor. I thought I had some more help from this. I guess I'm going to have to preach a little bit harder. God has given us a child who is a wonderful counselor, which means, my brothers and sisters, that he is the wisdom of David. He is the wisdom of God. He is the ancient of David. He knows the beginning before it even starts. He knows the ending at the beginning. He is Alpha and Omega. He knows all things. He is omniscient. In your life, and the cares of the world are weighing you down, and you don't know which way to turn. God has given us somebody who is a wonderful counselor. He will give you counsel if you talk to him, he'll tell you what to do. If you are in a situation and you don't know which way to turn, 
and you don't know what road to take. If you're in a place where you feel like the walls are closing in on you and you're running out of time, don't be discouraged and don't be dismayed. We have a wonderful counselor and he will give you wisdom how to navigate your situations. Oh, I'm glad this morning that he is a wonderful counselor. I'm glad this morning that when other folks don't know what to do and other folks don't know what to say, I can go to God with moans and groans that are too deep for words and he can take my moans and groans and translate them and give me an answer to my problem. He is a wonderful counselor. Not only that, if that ain't get you, he is the mighty God. This, is my brothers and sisters, is Isaiah restating what he said in chapter 7, verse 14 that a virgin will be with child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so, when Isaiah said, This child that God has given, he is. God in the flesh. He is the mighty God. Here's what's good about that. It means that he is omnipotent. And he has the power to do whatever he wants to do. Whenever he wants to do it. However he wants to do it. That he is a sovereign being. That he can do whatever he chooses to do and he don't need permission from anybody else. He does not need a vote. He does not need a motion in a second. He's able to do whatever he wills. He's a mighty God. Uh, some of you still ain't got it yet. Since he has all power and since he can do whatever he wants to do, since he's able to do, as Paul will later say, exceedingly, abundantly, above all, we ask or even think. Why are you so burdened down about your problem? Lord, have mercy. If he is a mighty God, and he has the power to do anything, then why are you looking at your problem? And being dejected and depressed about your problem when God has given us a redeemer who is the mighty God. He has all power. I, I wish I had time to unpack that more, but let me just bottom line it and move on. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 24. It says, Lift up your head. Oh, ye gates. Be ye lifted up. Ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Because you ask who is the king of glory? He is the Lord, mighty in that. He is the Lord. He is able to do what no other power can do. He's able to fight your battles. He's able to make a way out of no way. Mighty God. I'm telling you, I, I'm determined. I'm going to have joy 
in the midst of what I'm going through because God is a wonderful pastor and he is a mighty God. Not only that, I'm sorry, y'all. I got to preach all of it. It says not only is he the mighty counselor, wonderful counselor, a mighty God, but he says he's the everlasting father. The father is the source. Yes, he is. Everything comes from a father. He is the originator. This is why when you study the lineages of the Bible, they talk about the fathers begot. The fathers begot. It's not just because it was a patriarchal society. It's because the father is the originator. He is the one who is responsible for being the source of whatever comes out of him. Priest pastor, I'm trying my best. He says, a father is the originator that the child comes from the father. And since you are the originator, you are the source for everything that comes out of you. Which means you must provide sustenance and protection for your children. I got the Bible to back me up. The Bible says that if a man does not take care of his family, he's worse than an infidel. And he has denied the faith. It don't matter how much hallelujah and how many suits you put on and how many faith in Jesus you give. If you don't take care of your children, the Bible says you are an infidel. And you have denied the faith. And so he says, you take care of what comes from you. And this is what the Bible says here. Jesus is the everlasting Father. Which means that we are born of Christ. And since we are born of Christ, Christ is our source who provides protection and provision for his children. And this is what I love about it. The Bible says he's an everlasting Father. Oh Lord, bless his name. It says, it does not matter whether your father has transitioned from labor to reward or made a conscious choice to abandon you and not provide and protect you. The good news is you can still have joy because he's an everlasting father. Which means he's the father for the fatherless. He provides and he protects. So let me tell you something as we talk about our culture. I'm getting tired of us using absentee daddies as an excuse for being, for performing under our potential. If your daddy is not present, don't you be discouraged. We have a father who knows how to step in and provide for you and protect you. My daddy said he'll protect you from danger seen and unseen. 
have joy. Because he's a wonderful counselor. Have joy. Because he's a mighty God. Have joy. Because he's an everlasting father. Which means that as long as time goes on, he keeps on providing for everything that belongs to him. And I thank God for my earthly father. I thank God for O.D. Cullen. But I live long enough to recognize that O.D. is not the source of my blessings. God is the source who provides what I need. Then he says, he'll be the prince of peace. The prince of peace. Look what the Bible says here. Peace comes from God. Peace comes from God. Don't worry about the baby. Let the baby cry. The baby's not crying in church. The church is dying. Thank God for the baby. Peace comes from God. There is no peace outside of Jesus Christ. There is no peace without the Prince of Peace. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, he is our peace. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. We often seek peace in worldly things. We seek peace by trying to get financial security. And we feel if I can just make this much, then I can be comfortable and I can have some peace. But you know what? More money is more problems. And you will live long enough to know that there are some things that knock on your door that your pocketbook can't pay the bill. And you won't have peace even though you have money in your bank account. We try to find peace in materialism. Some of us are workaholics because we want peace in money. Some of us are shopaholics because we want peace in materialism. Why you shop so much? It just made me feel better. Y'all ain't saying amen no more. It's a retail therapy. And after you get through shopping and you wear one time or twice, it gets old and it no longer gives you any type of peace of mind. No satisfaction. Because we feel that peace is the absence of strength. And we feel that our strife is a result of a lack of finance and a lack of materialism or a lack of position in title. But brothers and sisters, peace is not the absence of strife. Peace is having Jesus while you're going in the midst of your strife. He is the prince of peace. In the midst of your suffering, you can have peace. Now, 
The Bible gives the children of Israel this text an anticipation of Christ coming for the first time. We call it the season of Advent on the church calendar. Anticipating the coming of Christ. But Isaiah does not just look in Bethlehem and see a manger. No, no. When Isaiah prophesies this, he does not just see a cross at Calvary. When Isaiah prophesies this, he does not just see an empty tomb on Friday, on Sunday morning. And he does not just see the ascension of Jesus Christ. But when Isaiah prophesies this, he looks beyond the New Testament. And he looks beyond the first coming. And he sees the second coming. Because the Bible says in verse number five that those boots and those garments will be burned for fuel for the fire. It says that the yoke of oppression will be broken. And I don't have to tell you this morning that oppression still exists. I don't have to tell you this morning that prejudice still exists. I don't have to tell you this morning that sexism and betrayal still exists. I don't have to tell you this morning that wars are still being fought. And money is still being spent on weaponry. And people are still trying to find military security and bring peace through their military might. But Isaiah says, there is a promise. There is a promise of peace. There is a promise of deliverance. Because that same child that was born of a virgin, that same child who became known as a wonderful counselor, the same child who is known as the mighty God, the same child who is known as the Prince of Peace. He will also be known as the Lamb of God because that child is born in a manger. But he did not say a helpless babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. But he And he empathized with our human condition. He knows what it's like to be lying on. 